All right. A couple of announcements. Uh, first off, um, a welcome back to my friend Devotion. It is good to see you. And congratulations on a new place to be and a soon coming baby. Now, are you ahead of my bride or behind my, my, my daughter? Slightly ahead, I think, yes? Second, a week ahead. Oh, okay. Those days race. are all subject to uh, whatever. Good. So uh, we can't wait for the, uh, the Lord to bless you. Okay, two quick announcements before I introduce our speaker du jour. Um, this Shabbat, Rabbi Daniel Lappin is speaking on uh, Thou shalt, Thou shalt prosper, Ten Commandments for Making Money. Um, it is it is kind of humorous, I think, that uh, a fairly well-to-do client of mine who deals in wealth management um, chose to pay to fly our good rabbi here from California for a couple of days and to provide Mr. Paul Wilbur for praise and worship. Um, but you can't get in. If you don't call his phone number, you give him everything about you. Your name, phone number, email address, date of birth, social security number, all that kind of great stuff. Um, so, and who would go but those who are biblically minded and interested in finance? He's a wealth builder. <laughs> what a great way to get a, uh, a combed list. Um, but regardless of that, if you're going to see the rabbi, you do need to call the number at the bottom of that thing I sent you, number one. Number two, uh, it's not five to nine. It said it, was, uh, it said it was 6 to 9, show up at 5 for open seating. Well, it turns out that everybody wanted more praise and worship, so it's now 5 to 9, and the thing opens at 4 to get a seat. So um, I'm having as many young men as I can show up there early to get a seat, so I can show up <coughs> later. Is the praise and worship in the beginning, or the lecture in the beginning? I am thinking the praise and worship is at the beginning. Uh, yeah. I'm not thinking... There until after, after. Sunday, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a safe bet. Yeah, I think it's a safe bet, right? Now we're we're stretching out here, let me tell you. Okay, um, concealed carry class for those of you interested. Um, you just want to go to safety-tactics.com, as I uh, indicated there, and uh, sign up for that. I can tell you that darn near my entire family is going to this class. And uh, Chris, yeah. um, that was my... Uh, darn near my whole family's going, so uh, you're going to want to uh, get in here if you can sooner rather than later. You can't have that's mine. You can't have that. I'm sitting. I'm not teaching. That's mine. We have a chair for you. Take our own side. Deal. These couches can fit four. No, they can't. Not men. Not your name on it. Yeah, I know. That's why I told you ahead. All right. So again, if you're looking to go to that, I'm excited about it. This gentleman. Uh, He's not only a client, but uh, he's sensitive to the fact that we keep the Sabbath. He's never taught this class on a Sunday before. And he's doing it on Sunday and discounted for us because we keep Shabbat. Uh, so I'm hoping that we get a bunch of Sabbath keepers there to just kind of help him understand what he's doing. The end of the it is the, uh, is it the last Sunday in February? I believe it's 26. What's the cost? 100 bucks. Bucks. And he will contact you ahead of time so that you can 
uh, go visit with him solo at the range and practice a little bit and do that. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who set us apart in order to sanctify us with his commandments and instructed us to occupy ourselves with words of Torah. Adonai, our God, please make the words of your Torah pleasant in our mouths and in the mouths of your people, the family of Israel so that we, our offspring and the descendants of your people, the family of Israel, all of us, may be knowers of your name and learners of your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people of Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations to give us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, you may, you may think that... Uh, Scott Martin is a newcomer to the, uh, the whole concept of men getting together and holding one another accountable uh, to a godly lifestyle and so forth. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that uh, that could be further from the truth. I've known Scott for darn near 20 years now. And uh, I count him as uh, probably one of my closest friends, if not the closest. And one of the few men that will not hesitate to jack me up if he sees me in the wrong. And I love him to death because of that. Um, I will also tell you that uh, this concept of men meeting, not men and women, not all of us having a group hug, the concept of men meeting and speaking about the things of God and holding one another accountable uh, to his commandments uh, is something that Scott and I have been doing together for many, many years many, many years. In fact, long before these young men were born, uh, I think it was on a Thursday night uh, that uh, men would meet on these couches and uh, we would begin by asking one another randomly some very poignant and difficult questions such as, were you with a woman this week? Anywhere that might be seen as compromising. And other questions, following up with the final one, did you just lie to me? <laughs> it's amazing to me how many times a man would just break down at that point and say, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that would <laughs> over and just beat the crap out of him. If there's anything that has impressed me about Scott over the years, uh, it's been his uncanny consistency in being consistent to the Word of God with regard to finance, stewardship. And uh, he's been a great example to me. I am very grateful uh, that he is here tonight. And I will tell you that the only reason he's not been with us before is because of these young men as he's been pouring his life into them. Uh, and I'm uh, anticipating that the days are soon upon us uh, where you're going to find some other young men sitting with us uh, and an elderly man, very elderly man, sitting on the side watching and growing with them. So welcome Scott Martin, if you would be so kind. Thank you, Joseph. I'm uh, uh, privileged to, to be here with you guys tonight, and I'm not sure how it is that I ended up 
with all the gray hair, and my colleague uh, ended up with the nice solid black head of hair, although I would note that there appears to be a slightly lesser amount of hair there than what I've got. Um, and, I, and before I start, too, I, I would say about the, the Thursday night gatherings that, that Joe mentioned, um, you know, we, we got together with, uh, with a group of men for, uh, for years and, uh, and went through uh, men's studies and had the accountability times, as, as Joe mentioned. And it was, after, um, <laughs> it was after one of those Thursday nights that Joe asked me a very, uh, a very pointed question that resulted in, uh, in two or three years later, this young man coming into my family. And then eventually his sister, and then the other young man sitting over here, and then their younger brother. So I've always got uh, uh, an extraordinary debt, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, of gratitude to, uh, to Joseph for helping uh, bring these, uh, these boys, their brother and their sister, into, uh, into our family. I also want to uh, disclaim, uh, starting off with a, uh, with a, a disclaimer, as a, uh, uh, from, from a profession standpoint, um, I'm a uh, securities uh, compliance manager. I manage a team of uh, compliance professionals that provides uh, regulatory compliance support to a, a business unit at Wells Fargo Securities. We sell uh, securities to institutional clients. And uh, my job, my team's job, is to make sure that the business unit that we support is operating within the boundaries of all the federal securities laws that, that pertain to our activities. So as a, as a good compliance officer, you always start out with a disclaimer, right? So I, uh, I first of all, want to disclaim any uh, sense of or perception of authority in, the, uh, in, in this area. I, uh, I'm, I'm studying right along with you guys. Um, I, want to, I want to know what, uh, what's, what's the truth rather than to be right. And that's a constant process as we, uh, as we dig into God's Word and, uh, and study and, uh, and, and proceed to find the truth. Um, I, uh, I, I do appreciate, though, that um, uh, you know, some of the studies that I've, uh, that I've done hopefully will, uh, will shed some light in this area that, that maybe you haven't seen before, um, along with some life experiences that, uh, that have come along the way that hopefully God will use those things uh, to, uh, to bless you tonight. That's, uh, that's really my hope. Um, I'll apologize for not having any handouts, overheads, or anything like that. I've just got a set of speaking points that uh, that I want to go through, and I'm I'm not sure what the uh, what the forum usually is on these uh, uh, these gatherings. But let's make this as interactive as possible. Questions? You know, raise your hand, speak up. Uh, you want to make a a point or jump off of something that I'm uh, that I'm talking about? Please feel free to uh, feel free to do that. Um, a recent, uh, a number of, of marriage surveys indicate the number one friction point in marriage is <laughs> finances, money. Exactly right. And um, uh, a number of, uh, of surveys also indicate that this same topic is the number four reason for divorce in the U.S. God's best for marriage is for both partners to be as one. Uh, 
he set that best uh, right out for us in the garden. It's in uh, Genesis chapter 2, where uh, it said that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. So I would start out with a, uh, with a premise that we'll have a difficult time in achieving true oneness with our spouse if we're lacking oneness in the area of our finances. A very important area for both spouses to be on the same, uh, on the same page, and it's our responsibility as men to, to lead in the area of finances. There's um, uh, some red flags, I guess I would start out with, of areas where these could be signs or indications that there's financial oneness lacking in a marriage. These would be items such as having uh, bank accounts, investments, credit cards, or debts without the other partner's knowledge. Making significant purchases without consulting the other, or in spite of the other's objection. Having one of the two marriage partners not being familiar with the couple's spending, debts, or assets, and an unwillingness by one of the partners to be accountable to a budget or a savings plan. These areas are indications that there's areas of, of, to be worked on in the marriage in the area of finances. So I would, uh, I, I would propose then that a marriage would not uh, have, would have a very difficult time in meeting its full potential if there's no harmony from a financial standpoint. Now, obviously I want to make real clear that this doesn't mean that a couple has to have wealth to have happiness. You know, clearly that's not the case. Um, but it does indicate that a couple needs to embrace financial practices that are consistent with biblical principles in order to be well positioned to enjoy a successful marriage. So what are the biblical principles that form the basis for sound financial practices? Well, the first one that I would propose as a, as a basis is ownership, the principle of ownership. And that's recognizing, first and foremost, that God owns and provides everything. God owns and provides everything. Starting with the money that we earn from our vocation. The, the uh, income that we receive from the fruits of our labors, 100% belongs to God. God is also the provider of health, knowledge, and skill sets that give you the ability to earn an income. God's the provider of health, knowledge, and skill sets that allow you to earn an income. Deuteronomy 10, 12-14 says, And now, Yisrael, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments 
and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. That seems pretty all-encompassing to me. So the principle of ownership is the first thing that we've got to realize. It's not ours. It's God's. God is the owner and the provider of everything. James said that every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And the psalmist said, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all of its fullness is mine. The first and most important principle to, to understand and to apply is ownership. God owns everything. He's the provider of the health, knowledge, and skill set that allow us to earn, our, uh, earn an income. And he's the owner of the income that we make from that knowledge, skill, and health that he gives us. So what's our role? If God's the owner, what's our role in this equation? Stewards, exactly right. We're trustees. We're stewards. We've been given assets or resources by God, and He expects us to handle them wisely. Now, it would be inconsistent with God's character for Him to give us assets and resources and expect us to handle them wisely and not give us principles to be able to follow and apply, to manage them wisely. He gives us the, the ability to have knowledge. He gives us the truth that we can use to apply and, and use these resources wisely. So our first responsibility is to wisely manage the resources that are entrusted to us. It's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Paul told the Corinthians, it's worth knowing that we need to accept personal responsibility for making knowledgeable, biblically consistent financial decisions. We can't look to others to make the tough choices for us. It's something we have to make based on the principles we derive from Scripture and times that we have alone with God. So ownership is the first principle. Our role is as a trustee or a steward over those resources that we're given. The second principle that we need to be able to apply is a principle of gratefulness. Gratefulness. Gratefulness is making known to God and others in what ways they've benefited my life. Making known to God and others what ways they've benefited my life. We need to be grateful for the resources that God's entrusted to us. However uh, plentiful or meager it may be. God has us in the position where we are for a specific reason, and he's entrusted to us the amount that he feels is necessary or appropriate for us at any point in time. We need to be grateful to God for what he's given to us, the resources with which he's blessed us or entrusted to us. The next principle that we need to, uh, we need to be able to apply is the principle of contentment. Contentment. Realizing God's provided everything I need for my present happiness. I don't need anything more 
than what I have right now. Because I've got everything that God's provided to me. All that God's provided to me is all I need. tension that's built in there that helps us to uh, to drive to achieve um, but and you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more and as we as we achieve it frees us to do more with what uh, the additional resources that God gives to us um, yeah what Joshua? would be the opposite of 
Uh, <laughs> covetousness, covetousness. Yeah, I had uh, uh, at one of my uh, one of my points here was the uh, the tenth commandment. What is the tenth commandment? Greed. Oh, heavy duty things that everybody's like, oh, I don't do that. And in that list is lust, which in a way is opposite of contentment. Being satisfied is always looking and desiring that which you actually don't have rather mm-hmm. than the satisfaction of what you do. What you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Very good point. Absolutely. Are we able to answer questions too? Yeah, yes, son, you sure can. Do you have a question? No. You just wanted to know if you could ask a question. Yes. That was your question. Because we were wondering. Yes, you can. So, why does God give us the ability to earn an income? Not a loaded question. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's also to be, because the idea of stewardship is to be a blessing to whoever God gets in our way. Absolutely right. I look at, absolutely, exactly. I look at at two main reasons, both of which have been covered here uh, in in your answers. The first one, to provide for the needs, for, for our needs, and the needs of those who depend on us, our families and, and, uh, and others who depend on us. So God gives us the ability to earn an income so that we can provide for, the, for our needs and the needs of those who depend on us. And those would be both current needs and future needs. I firmly believe that God gives us the ability to earn income today to provide for needs that we have today and needs that we don't know that we'll have in the future. In addition to that, God gives us the ability to earn an income today to provide for the needs of others. Others who don't necessarily depend on us, but others where we see needs exist. There's, uh, there's two uh, character qualities, I believe, that go along with this element, providing for the needs of others. The first of those two is compassion, being compassionate toward others, recognizing that others have needs, investing whatever's necessary to help provide for those needs. And God makes that known to us, and we have the resources available to be able to help for that need. We're demonstrating compassion. Along those lines, Mm-hmm. 
know, like we see in, in Exodus, in the, in the Torah, he said, God saw and he knew. He knew the suffering that the, the people of Israel were going through. And that kind of goes back again to that idea of contentment, too, in the sense that um, we trust God is good. And if God is good, then God will meet our needs, because only he knows exactly what those needs are. And then out of that, out of those lessons that we learn, it's like Paul says in Corinthians, then we can use what he has comforted us with to comfort others. Exactly right. Very good point. Johnny? To, to bounce off what we were saying there, and often the things that we think we need are, don't always line up with God thinks we need, or God knows, knows what we need. need. So, and and that, that's, that's a dichotomy that a lot of people have a hard time sort of wrapping their brains around, but once, you know, and I think that that has helped me reach a point of contentment, mm -hmm. or, you know, I, I could always be more so, but... Um, it, it's realizing that just what I, just because I think that that's what I want, um, that situation, that amount of money, or, or whatever the case may be, God may see it a different way, and He's giving me what I need. So it, it's knowing that and trusting in that that really just creates a sense of peace, of shalom, and, and, and not just so much the peace aspect of it, but that, that completeness. Because if you, if you don't feel like like, oh, if I just still had, if I still just had this, well, you're, you're still not complete if you feel that way. So that the, the sense of shalom, that peace, it, it also, it, it, it encompasses that completeness of an individual. So it's, it's recognizing that, that, that God, what we want and what God wants for us, most likely will be different. And, and having to be accepting of that. Right. And in those cases, who needs to move? Obviously, obviously we do. <laughs> right. How often do we try to convince God that it's, it's good, it needs to go the other direction? That cultural pull that in the culture that we live in, we've got the, we've got the pull. I think, Joe, you mentioned a little bit ago, you know, we're constantly hit with, with marketing messages that tell us this is the, the you know, bigger, better, faster, prettier, what it, smaller, lighter, <laughs> whatever the case may be. And it's, a, it's that constant pull from our culture that, that we need to guard against from a mindset standpoint that, uh, that some of these things may be things that God allows us to have, uh, but they're not really, they're not needs, they're not essentials. Absolutely. And perhaps we need to make sure that we're meeting the needs of others. Yeah, you can Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Isn't that part uh, two of what uh, what Moshe taught the Hebrews in uh, that we now have embodied in the Brakat Hamazon? When you've eaten and you're satisfied, remember the source of your satisfaction. We uh, exactly when when uh, when we do the the brakat as a family after uh, after meals, we stop at that point, and I walk around the table, and everybody tells me, "I'm satisfied." And when we get all the way around the table, and uh, and mommy's the last one who acknowledges that she's satisfied, I said, "My my next response is, then let's do a mitzvah." And then we bless God for the land and for the nourishment. And it's, it's, I do that as a teaching point for the kids to reinforce every time. This is why we're doing it, because God's the source of those things. Yeah? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, this is one uh, lesson that I'm learning to trust in the fact that God knows what I have need of. You know, I just moved here not too long ago. It was at the end of October, and... Uh, you know, I'm working on getting licensed as a professional counselor, and then I'm networking with other people and calling for job opportunities and going to school at the same time. So, you know, I definitely bring my situations to God in prayer very often. In fact, He hears me quite a lot about my concerns, you know, just with, you know, the reality of student loans and wanting to begin to chip away at that so that I'm on top of that and I don't uh, end up sinking under that. And when I approach him in prayer for these things, uh, I feel a sense of sure, you know, that he is going to provide for me. And that one scripture where David is saying, you know, I once was young, now I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken mm -hmm. or their seat begging bread, lets me know that, you know, everything's going to be okay. Once he provides the manna, I can uh, go and receive it and uh, take what he has provided for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lesson from the, the manna sec section that actually tradition Judaism read today yeah. as part of the special prayer during this week um, is that, you know, in the manna story, God doesn't provide enough for tomorrow except on Friday. And, uh, but he always made sure he provided enough for today. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one thing that sometimes is easy to forget or to be afraid of. Um, but I think that's something that Scripture teaches very well. You mentioned why do we work. And if you read both Ecclesiastes and other passages, part of the implication is work is good and you should enjoy the fruits of your labors. Some of the saddest curses in Deuteronomy are when you lose the fruit of your labor, when you work hard and you don't get anything back from it. Mm -hmm. In light of that, I think that for those of us, maybe sometimes we feel like we're working hard and not receiving the things that we thought we should get from it. I think that that, again, calls back to God's character and says God must have something really big he's working on. Because he knows, he's written specifically about how painful, how difficult that is, and yet he's allowing you to go through that. And if you see this situation with the righteous and with the manna, God doesn't put us in difficult circumstances because he's capricious or because he's angry it's because he loves us and he wants really best for us. Mm -hmm. So we can know that he has a plan that's bigger than anything we can see. Exactly. Exactly. We just need to keep our eyes open for not miss it. It's, it seems like that meeting of our needs and being, as we said, content or satisfied uh, goes even more beyond just how it affects us, but that it's that he would be acknowledged 
and praised, and that his kingdom would be, as we all mentioned, that it's more important about that than about the continuing skater getting. And I found that passage, it's Ephesians 5, 5, and it says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous, not lust, or covetous man, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Messiah and God. And it just kind of hits it there that not only is it opposite of being content, but you're joining in with, with idolatry. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Um, so God's giving us the ability to earn an income, again, to provide for our needs and the needs of those who depend on us, current and future. Johnny. Joshua, did you have a question, son? Yes. What? What happens when God gives you a chance to earn some extra money and you miss it and you don't even know about it? Well, it's kind of hard if, uh, if you didn't know about it to have a, uh, to have a problem, right? Does God let you know? He may choose to do that. He might use other people to help you understand that. Good question. So we're going to, uh, uh, we're going to, the ability that God gives us to earn an income is providing for our own needs, the needs of those who depend on us, current and future, and to provide the needs of others who God puts around us, current and future. We do that through compassion, and we also do it through generosity. And generosity, the character trait of generosity is realizing that all I have belongs to God and using it for his purpose. Not enough to just realize it. We, uh, we did that before when we were talking about the principle of ownership. But generosity goes beyond that and uses, uses that, uh, those resources for God's purpose. We have to be on guard, however, against greed and spending our energies in an attempt simply to earn additional resources. Uh, as Joshua you know, read in the, uh, in the, the verse from, uh, from Paul just a moment ago, uh, when we go off and, uh, and, and our motives are not driven by uh, the, ten- the healthy tension that Rick mentioned, but is driven by a wander and a desire to just gain more or have more, then uh, we're seeking income, we're seeking resources for the wrong motive. We're not being motivated by generosity, and we're not being motivated by compassion. You know, there, there, are, uh, there are three main things we can do with our money. Three main things that we can do with our resources. What's one? Spend it. Spend it. Right. Save it. Save it or invest it. Investing is just a more sophisticated form of saving. So spend it. Save it. Give it away. Exactly right. Those are the, the, the three things that we can do. Spend it. Save it. And give it away. As, uh, as men who desire to be men of God, it's our responsibility to demonstrate to our wives and to our children sound biblical financial, financial principles. How do we do that? The first way that we discern God's financial principles is by getting into the Word itself. You know, Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The answers are right in front of us. 
as long as we're spending time in the Word, learning and understanding, spending time with other men, getting sharpened. It's one way that we discern sound uh, biblical financial principles. Secondly, we have to be knowledgeable of our family finances. If we're not knowledgeable of family finances, if that's left to our spouse to handle or take care of, how can we demonstrate sound biblical financial principles if we don't even know what the financial picture looks like? Exactly. We, uh, we, we should not be in a position of delegating financial management to our spouse. Financial management is our responsibility as men. Now, that doesn't mean, certainly, it does not mean that our wife can't handle or take care of certain aspects of the family finances. As a help meet, she may very well have skills that complement yours and can provide and fill in in certain areas. But the overall responsibility for financial management has to be ours. And then lastly, we need to demonstrate financial integrity. Uh, there's a proverb in uh, Proverbs 13 that says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. We need to demonstrate financial integrity in all of our financial dealings. So we talked a moment ago about three things that we can do with our money. Spend it, save it, or give it away. For the, uh, uh, for the rest of our time, I'm going to break down those three main categories into, uh, into some individual categories and hopefully uh, hit some, some good principles along the way that you can uh, jot down, make some notes of, uh, think about, see how you can apply those in your particular uh, financial situation. So I would, um, uh, I'm defining spending as deploying funds that God has given us for two purposes. Meeting our needs and the needs of others who depend on us. And enjoying God's provision in our lives. Meeting our needs and the needs of others who depend on us. And enjoying God's provision in our lives. Joseph. I desire to do that. 
what you just described. The wisdom I need is, you said I could spend it, save it, Give it away. I can give it away. I need the wisdom. By the time we're done, this may take nine. Years. <laughs> I need the wisdom to figure out how does one determine, to your point, for future need, you need to you need to save that, or you need. Now, to give that away, because God has prospered you in such a way, because He knew about a need across the way, and you are the provision He has provided for them, versus my family has just been busting butt, and they're ready and in need of some time off, and this is going to pay for it. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I've got... I've got three great biblical responses now, rather than what used to be. I've got three biblical responses for this hunk of money. And I need the help and wisdom and discernment to know how do I figure out which one of those three That's in the next page, the bright lines. <laughs> Transitioning from one to another. The, uh, you know, an outstanding question, right? I mean, that's that's the core issue on how we handle our finances. Once you get past the just, you know, the, the needs, the right? We we can we we know what we need to do to provide for our family's needs. Now we have this additional funds that God's prospered us with. To a certain extent, I believe that He prospers us with those funds today to provide for our family's needs tomorrow and the day after that, and seven years from now. We've got, a, we've got a biblical example for that, right? Joseph. Yeah. God gave him the wisdom and put him in the position where he could in influence the monetary policy of the nation of Egypt and could stockpile the grain, current provision, to be able to provide for the needs of the nation and the people around them years down the road. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's, that's exactly the, the question that we, need, that we all need, to, that we're all struggling with. Providing for today's needs, providing for tomorrow's needs, providing for the needs of those around us, and, being, and at the same time, enjoying the provision that God's given to us. So these are these these two elements specifically, meeting our needs and the needs of others who depend on us today, and enjoying God's provision in our lives, I'm categorizing as spending. It's what we do with our money today. And the first thing we need to do in our spending habits is guard against greed. Um, you know, we all recognize that material possessions don't bring happiness. But the, uh, the culture that we would live in would try to tell us opposite and would help us or would hint to us that those things help us get closer to happiness, which is always, from a marketing standpoint, the next thing to go to get.
to achieve happiness. Yes, Joshua. Well, that's a good question, Joshua. When you don't have enough money to be able to buy food or other essential things for your family, like clothes or pay for school expenses and things like that, you know that you're spending too much money in the wrong area. And then how do you figure out where the wrong area is? Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, too. Did you read my notes ahead of time? <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> Is there a biblical reference for the point enjoying God's provisions in our lives and following up, uh, if, the, if there is or whatever that is, um, where would the line be in, for the definition of what enjoying entails? So that the line isn't crossed where we're actually using God's provisions to enjoy something that is contrary to God. And uh, that uh, along with, is there a... Uh, is there any evidence on what percentage should be going to each of these once you have done the basics and you have a little extra um, as to how much should be given away or how much should be enjoyed or how much should be saved? I think this brother is just looking to party. Joshua, do you say that they have That's how Shema has the answer. It says, when you eat the labor of your hands, it is well with yeah. Mm. Good. And I think Ecclesiastes ties to that too. Staying on the Joshua thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ecclesiastes describes the idea of eating the fruit of your labors as being um, God's sort of task He's given man. You know, from a from a very 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 practical day to day level, our ultimate purpose of God with from God is to fear Him and keep His commandments. But on a very simplistic level, um, just what you do with the money you make. The, the one reference that Solomon does give is it's good for a man to to eat, to work hard and to eat, to enjoy that. So I think it, it comes down to, um, as far as you're asking, percentages. I, I would say some of it comes down to a certain degree of wisdom and balance. And I would start more with priorities than necessarily with percentages. That would just be my suggestion. What needs the money first? What areas has God put into my life? It's like uh, experiencing God used to write, God is working all around you find where he's working and join him. Yeah, those percentages are going to change um, over time. When you're, a, when you're a younger man just starting out and your income isn't, uh, isn't uh, you know, at that level yet, the overwhelming majority of your income, the larger percentage is going to go just to meet your needs and the needs of, of those around you. And as you, uh, as you progress and as your, your career expands and as God blesses you more, that percentage of your income needed to meet your needs, the needs of those around you, is going to decrease, and you've got then additional income to be able to meet the needs of others. I guess yeah. my question um, would go better as to how would we define enjoyment? Coming from a different country, mm. mm -hmm. what I would say enjoyment um, goes along more with you have food, you have clothes that don't have holes where they shouldn't and, you know, that you know, are functional in what they have, where if you come to a different society, like North Carolina, where a lot of it is, looks different, 
then enjoyment now takes on a whole different definition. So how, how in this setting, for all of us here, how are we going to define or how is enjoyment defined so that as an option of spending, we actually know what is actually what pleases God with what we would define enjoyment versus what he, mm -hmm. he defines as enjoyment, mm -hmm. as Joshua and Mr. Spurlock wisely pointed out. Mm -hmm. I think this, 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 this might help you, and it's, I was shocked when I read this for the first time in the Torah, but there is, um, I, you know, I was raised with a, a, a tithe and offering is when, when, the, paper, when, when the, the, the plate gets passed down the Nile, it's good. But there's a mitzvah. If you live too far away from Jerusalem, you sell so whatever. Hey, eat money. it, dude. Exactly. Get the money. Whatever herbs you got, you schlep to the capital, and then you basically throw a fiesta. But and it says buy or spend the money on whatever your heart desires, including strong drink. But you're gonna invite a priest, a, a kohen, that's to the party. As long, I mean, that's whatever you would spend and enjoy with your heart. But remember that the priest, or think of it as Yeshua, the ultimate priest, is going to partake in whatever you're doing. As long as your heart's desire can be accompanied with a priest, with Yeshua, then you know that that is a good enjoyment and a good desire from a reborn heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would also... <laughs> Outstanding. Hoping that we all are leaning towards where it comes to a place where that enjoyment isn't an opportunity to say, okay, God, time out, it's time for me. Rather than, this is enjoyable, will you join me? Because he is able to be in that enjoyment. Right? Sure. And I, I think, too, as we, as we grow in contentment and we, we are able to be, to be more content, the, the prospect of enjoying diminishes. I don't need to do these other things. I don't need the things. I don't need the activities. I'm more content, and that frees us up to use our money in that third area of meeting the needs of others. Yeah, yeah. Just list them, you know, whether they do the blockbuster or red box. There's a quote that I came across that said, People buy things they do not need with money they do not have to impress people they do not even like or know. <laughs> How true is that? People buy things with things they don't need with money they don't have to impress the people they don't even like or know. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So our, um, our goal in, uh, in, in spending is to balance that contentment or to be content versus seeking gratification. Seeking gratification, I think, to, to Joshua's point, is beyond that enjoyment place where we need to be. We're seeking gratification. Um, well, and uh, I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, Exodus twenty seventeen: You shall not covet your neighbor's house, don't covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then Paul taught Timothy... Now, there's great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, the opposite end of the spectrum, 
fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So we need to keep correct values and priorities in our spending. And the best way to do that is through budgeting. Yes, I said the B word. <laughs> how many, just, just, uh, just out of curiosity, how many have ever had a budget, operated under a budget? Good, nice. How many are still operating under a budget today? Good. The um, the practice of uh, of budgeting, oddly enough, is a biblical one. Uh, the master in Luke said, "For which of you, intending to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and count the cost? How is this going to work? Do I have enough resources to be able to do this?" Whether he may have enough to finish it, lest perhaps after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all those seeing begin to mock him and say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Yes, that verse, um, basically, some of this is a cute little story, a poignant example, but actually, ironically enough, in the land of Israel, there is a very clear example of this illustration. <laughs> there is a hotel that was started in the Galilee it is massive, really large. And all they got through were the concrete walls. And for years, it has stood there as a monument to someone's foolish planning. And it stands... Or lack thereof. Uh, yeah, or lack thereof. And it, uh, Sea of Galilee, I'm not joking, is this massive concrete structure that was never finished. So, I mean, it's, it's not just an example. It really does happen. Uh-huh. This, <laughs> the, uh... the, Galilee, <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happened in... Uh... Uh, Pyongyang in North Korea. It's like an 80-something story building that was intended to be a hotel in the 1970s. And it's a shell. Still. Still. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's the, um, in the underground, it's the laughing stock. You wouldn't make any fun of it walking around the street, <laughs> openly, yeah, exactly. But uh, it's, a, it's the same thing. It's, it's exactly right. Uh, con- concrete, no pun intended, example <laughs> of, this, of this exact principle. Joshua? How do you know when you're putting the right amount of money into the right amount, into the right investment, and when you don't know, when you put something in and don't know actually when you need in another investment? Well, we're going to talk about budgeting, and that means how much money do you allocate or do you spend on certain things. And we'll talk about saving and investing in a little bit. How about that? Good job. Why don't we let the men take a little break? Okay. Get some uh, coffee. There are some really cool cookies in that basket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got a long five, maybe ten.